Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of BXB's Bits and Bobs and this week it's going to mostly be all about E3 but let me introduce first of all our guest in our rotating third chair. Can you can you rotate for us? No, don't worry. <laughs> I, just, I just thought it I would be... I can rotate, yes. You can rotate. I haven't got a headset though so it would be difficult. I will end up tying myself to the chair. It's Adam Breeden. He was uh, a guest on our uh, sort of test episode zero that never actually went out um, before we've come back with this annoying, lovable, brilliant video um, style of podcast, which Adam didn't know about until about two hours ago and had to buy a camera for special. So we definitely respect that commitment. We do respect that. Uh, and Adam is a uh, indie game developer and a contributor to the website and uh, an all-round lovely fella. Thank you very so much. There's, there's Adam, yes. And with me, sadly, because I, I can't get rid of him. I keep trying to shake him, but he keeps coming back. And that's uh, that's Richard Worrell, like a bad cold. You love me. You love me more than you care to admit. It's true. I do feel deeply for that slaphead of yours. Um, <laughs> Thanks. That's all right, mate. No worries. <laughs> and I'm your host, as ever, uh, Ben Hall. Um, yeah, so we've got a lot of E3 to talk about this week. But before we get into the games, before we talk about that, let's talk wrestling! Because hey. people never get bored of us talking about wrestling, do they? No, never talk about it. Never too much wrestling talk. Um, so let's talk about NXT because I know we're all massive fans. And Takeover is this coming Wednesday, isn't it? Yes. It is so indeed. I'm get quite excited about that myself. Um, With the first NXT cage match. Yeah, and I, do you know what? I watched um, the interview between um, Samoa Joe and Finn Balor, and and Finn was doing that whole thing of I've never been in a steel cage match before. Usually that's bullshit when wrestlers say that, but I was actually trying to work out if perhaps. Thinking about his history, maybe he hasn't actually ever been in a cage match. So I mean, that's that that could Does be really interesting. Not? It's possible. I mean, wow. he, he, you know, being on the indie circuit in like Ireland in the UK wouldn't have had much in a cage match sort of front. Doing Japan, they don't really do cage matches. Um, I guess not. So potentially he hasn't. Whereas Joe has done some amazing cage yeah. matches uh, in TNA and stuff like that. Absolutely fantastic matches. Um, I actually quite recently watched Joe's um, match against Kurt Angle in. That nonsense uh, promotion, but yeah. man, what a match that was! That yeah. was a stunt. Yeah. So, do we think do we think Finn's going to be the first ever two-time NXT champion? Because I suspect he is. I have to say. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know if they're going to bump him up the roster, and then it seems kind of a waste to give him the belt at that point. But who knows? Because well, the prediction always was that he was going to go over to main roster because Bullet Club, and he was going to reunite with those guys, and so I think everyone was expecting. And Finn's a relentless troll on Twitter. Like, every week, he's like, see you on Monday. <laughs> and he never turns <laughs> up. So, it's, it's genuinely, like, it is one of those wonderful things where it's genuinely a match where I wouldn't like to make any kind of prediction for it. I genuinely don't know what they'll do. Um, I mean, the rumours seem to be that if it was gonna, if he was going to have come up, he would have done it now. They've missed that moment. They've missed that timing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it sounds to me like that he, he likes being that guy in NXT and they like him there and he's a massive draw for that promotion so I think he's staying where he is and I think to do that they need to give him something special which will be the first ever two-time title holder um, they've already taken up a lot of talent it seems to me like they're going to be taken up uh, from the tag division next uh, American Alpha is strongly rumored to be moving up very very shortly as well sense. which is why they're building people like Gargano and Champa um, to, yeah. to be like proper competitors and I love those guys actually I think they've got a real real prospects of being something great, which is why, of course, they went over the revival on the last episode. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of lots of stuff going on in the behind-the-scenes there, but, I mean, it's really good, isn't it? Oh, man. Oh, it's just it. brilliant. Such good NXT is... I, mean, I, I got converted into it because on that 
on the Lost podcast, um, Richard mentioned he had tickets to it in Plymouth, and I was like, jealous. Let's see if let's see if this is any good. Then let's see if we have still got taste. And oh my god, like I went on the longest YouTube binge of my life, just watching everything I could from NXT for the last two years. Just so wonderful to see proper actual wrestling with logic and sense and feuds that are about what happened in the ring, not about who's had a miscarriage or who's marrying who, you know, <laughs> and, and belts that matter and tag team matches with hot tags and heel tag teams, like actual heel tag teams, not just n- lunatics for trombones. Like, just really good stuff. I, just, I loved every second of it, and I've become completely addicted since then. I'm, I'm, it's, it's even worked. Like, I'm going to... Um, for the takeover, I'm going to be for getting my WWE Network subscription sorted out. So I'm going to watch oh, that takeover because okay. I just have to see it. I have to see this cage match. It's going to be awesome. I, w- I was always quite keen on the network. I got it um, as soon as I could, basically. But NXT was a big part of it. When I discovered that, I remember watching, I think it was when takeovers were far less common and it was like only their second or third one. Yeah. Um, and I believe that was Neville was in that and um, there was Sami Zayn stuff as well. And uh, yeah, I was blown away by just the the quality of the wrestling. Um, like it's it's so far and above anything you get in the main roster. And it's such a shame when you see these guys go up like um, Enzo yeah, exactly. Pass or uh, Apollo Cruz has just recently been buried, like completely buried. And he was great on NXT. And they've now just like put him on SmackDown and just like pushed him to the bottom of the card. He's feuding with like fucking Heath Slater. And that stupid group, the misfits, the social outcasts, whatever they're called, who and it just nobody cares what they're doing with him. They're just booking him really badly, and it's such a shame because he's got that great physique and ability, athleticism and strength, uh, and yet he's now been completely just forgotten uh, on the main roster. Same thing happened, of course, with oh, phones ringing. Did you, did you get the phone, Richard? Oh dear. <laughs> so while Richard goes to get the phone, oh, this yes. is live for you people. Uh, me and Adam will continue talking about wrestling <laughs> and vamp for a little bit longer. So uh, I mean, because like it's, it's interesting what you say because um, obviously when I look on uh, the YouTube videos that I was binging on, all the comments underneath are like, "Oh, this guy's really good. He could get promoted to the main roster. This guy wants to go up to the main roster. I'd love to see this guy in the main." I don't want anyone on the main roster. Leave him in NXT. I like NXT. I don't want to see. Finn Balor jobbing to God knows who week on week. Like they're fantastic where they are, and the That's, product's fantastic for them. That is, like, that is the worry. Yeah, I mean that was the hope. You know, you want to see people go up because you want to see them elevate the main stuff. But the problem is now the wrestlers as well have been come canny to it. They've seen the Tyler Breezes and the Apollo Crews exactly. who have gone up and have been buried in poor booking. Uh, and you know, it's like, well, why would I want to do that when I could still be really cool and really liked here on NXT? Um, you know, so I mean, the interesting thing is, you saw Emma, for example, go up and then come back, and then she had an amazing run on NXT uh, after her heel turn, and now she's gone back up again, or I think she's either injured or possibly going up in the process of going up now. And it's like, well, will it work out for her this time? Um, so you know, so let's talk about the women quickly though um, before we move on and actually talk about video games. Uh, who's looking forward to uh, Asuka and uh, Nia Jax? I am. I love Axka. I think she's fantastic. She's amazing. It's, isn't she? it's so nice to see like that kind of monster heel sort of persona in a women's uh, wrestler. Mm. Like that's always been the kind of purview of the men, and it's just. And she, man, she sells it beautifully. Like I totally, I'm terrified of that woman. She's the, frightening. The, the interesting thing with Naya is that she's come a long way in the few months she's been on the roster now. Um, she started really weak and not selling it at all. And now yeah, I, yeah. I still think they should make her more aggressive on the mic. 
um, and, and just try and tone down the slightly bitchy kind of girly aspects of the presentation. <coughs> yeah. You know, I, I you know I I always think of one of the better things about TNA, which was ODB. Um, and you know she she sold that monster heel kind of in a woman wrestler kind of thing like really really well. Yeah. And I, I just wish I wish they commit a bit more to it. Um, but Asuka, man, she's like, yeah, she's like uh, Hideo or Shinsuke. She's got that strong style like this, the straight yeah. kicks that really lay the bloody ladies out. Most of them can't take it. And it's so funny to watch that that clip of Eva Marie getting her ass handed to her by her is one of the greatest <laughs> things because nobody likes Eva Marie. So seeing her getting kicked in the face, well, we all appreciate it. So what, what, what Nia Jax needs is a, is a manager, I think. I'd, I'd look to put her with... If you could still get like a Cornette or a Heenan, I think that's the sort of thing I'd like to see with, with her, where then she wouldn't have to do any talking. She can just be the silent terror, and we can have someone else do the sort of, mm. you know, the Free on the mic for her. I think that would work really well. It was actually quite cool when they did uh, pair her with Eve Marie. I thought that was quite a, a nice move that they had there for a while, but I think, I don't know, Eva... They can't decide what to do with Eva. They love her look, but she can't wrestle. So what do they do with her? You know, so it's like up, down, up, down. Which roster is she going to be on? Is she on TV? Isn't she? Who knows? And frankly, who cares? Um, so I think that's enough. Is that enough wrestling, guys? Have we had our fill? I think so. I mean, it is obviously the universal product that everyone in the world likes, but uh, maybe we should move <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, everyone in the world. <laughs> People look at me and I'm like, what, what are you using? Oh, oh, you're a gamer. That's really cool. Oh, and you like wrestling? <laughs> Leave. <laughs> just, yeah. They just leave. Like they just disappear. Tumbleweed. It's like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why would you like wrestling? You know, it's all fake, right? You do know. You oh, do know. God, don't even. <laughs> don't. Just don't. Just don't. Oh man, I'm so tired of that. Anyway, anyway, video games of which there's been a lot. We we will move on to the E3 predictions and hype shortly. But let's talk a little bit about um, some of the reviews we've got coming up. I'm gonna go to you, Richard, first because you've got. I think you're writing it right now. Uh, it will probably yeah, be up yeah. later today or tomorrow or something. Uh, and that's let's talk about the hot thing right now, Overwatch. It should be later today. Um, I've run into trouble, I'm afraid. I, I was planning to do it yesterday, and I got distracted actually playing Overwatch, unfortunately. <laughs> that's, it's just too good. It's a good damn sign of the review, yeah. I mean, yeah, tell me where to be on. Let's hear about it. Come on. Hit us. Okay. Um, just to give some sort of background on me as a FPS player, I normally go for campaigns. That's because online shooters takes too long to get good, to learn the maps and to know what you're supposed to be doing. Um, none of that is an issue for Overwatch. Straight in, online only, no campaign. Um, you've got a basic tutorial that tells you how to move around. Um, and then beyond that, it's just learning a really basic move set on a wide array of character selections. You've got 21 characters to choose from. Start booting it up. It feels like Street Fighter 2, you know, like back in the day, that um, classic roster of unique individuals, each with their own limited set of moves. You could remember them, you could miss it for five years, go back and you still know how to pull off a fireball, you know? It's got that kind of feel where every character, they're, they're unique. You, you learn what they do in minutes and then it stays with you. Um, so it's simple, yeah, it's got this incredible depth where with that amount of characters to choose from, if you get bored of the game, um, and I haven't yet, but if you decide, well, I've had enough of that, choose another character, it becomes a completely different experience, and I just can't get enough of it. It's fantastic. Just the simplicity of being able to jump in, not have to worry about 
uh, leveling. There is leveling, but it, it doesn't make any any difference to the gameplay whatsoever. Um, not even any iron sights or any of the sort of technical additions that we've seen to first-person shooters in the past 10 years. It goes back to the style of Team Fortress, where it's all about, here's a game, these are the rules, play it. You know, and that's it. That's all you have to do. It just means you can just jump in, play it for five minutes, play it for five hours. Um, and it, it, it's just one of those workhorse titles that actually does what it's supposed to do, doesn't mess about, and it's just accessible to everybody, experienced or not. I just can't get enough of it. It's fantastic. No, I mean, it made me think of something the, the other day, actually, that it reminded me of my childhood when I'd be out with my mates and we'd be down in the park or something, we'd have a football with us, and we decide to have an impromptu game of, like, five-a-side footy. Now, you know, he's might be really good at football. I might be, I'll be, I might be a bit shit, but I'll, I'll go in gold or something. I'll go in defense. And it yeah. has that feel of, like, pick-up-and-play accessibility, that kind of feeling of, it's just a laugh. Like, you yeah, don't yeah. need to take it seriously. You can just have fun with your friends, have a kickabout, or in this case, you know, you know, grab a control point or defend a, uh, what do they call them, the moving cargo things and stuff like that, uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And it just felt like, yeah, having a little pick-up-and-play, five-a-side game of footy, or I'm guessing for an American listener, you know, a quick pick-up game of basketball or something like that. Just a very laid-back, relaxed, uh, enjoyable experience. It's got an amazing yeah. art style. It's incredibly welcoming. The... the to use the one of the current terms, the onboarding process is is so easy to like just get on with and just get into the experience, and you're immediately playing and immediately feeling like you're bringing something to it, even if you're not doing that great. Um, right. You know, it's, and it's on the art style. It feel it going back to Street Fighter. It does feel mm. like a Capcom game. I can imagine Capcom having done this. It's like a Power Stone title, you know. Capcom wish like they had done this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if they were if they were going to do an FPS, this is what it would look like, I imagine. Um, well, it's got it's got that Pixar. Fantastic. It's got a Pixar kind of like Disney or even DreamWorks sort of animated feel to it. Yeah, they yeah. Did, did you have a chance to watch any of the animated shorts I told you? I haven't you seen them yet. No, okay. you told I me. Do, about them. I, I really think you'd be impressed by them. They're basically like Pixar level, like seven minute long little animated um, narrative vignettes for some of the key characters oh. of the uh, of the game. Now that's one of mm. I mean that's one of my issues. Like you said, you come to a first person shooter for the for the stories. This has none. This has no story whatsoever. It has kind of a sort of bare bones framework of a sort of a, a setting and a narrative. But I mean, the shorts add a lot to that. But I was quite surprised that they went to that level of work. Uh, you know, obviously not cheap to create these things. But there's there's no there's no story in the tool, like none. I was quite surprised but, by that. Well, this is a game from Blizzard, um, so it's obviously going to have long legs. It remains to be seen what they do with those characters down the line and what they add to this, because it is very bare bones at the moment. There's a quick play option. Um, other than that, I think there's a weekly uh, cycling variation on the basics, basic uh, rule set. I think this week it's called Brawl or something, is it? Do you know what it is? I can't remember. That was but last week. They've just changed it this week so you can only play as two specific characters. I think it's the, the two ninja guys. Um, so it's all about those two ninja guys fighting each other, which is, it seems a bit limited to me. But Yeah, but that's going to change every week, so it yeah. may be hit and miss, yeah. but the, the underlying thing is they're going to be supporting that for a long time. This is Blizzard. I can't imagine them dropping this anytime soon. That's, that's so that investment, the investment in the character videos, I'm taking that as a hint that they're going to use them in a more in-depth way further down the line. Perhaps. Um, 
You said it was made by Blizzard. That's I mean, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? It's certainly coming right at the top of the market. Like everyone's talking yeah. about it. My Twitter's been nothing but Overwatch for a fortnight now, at least. And Blizzard have never made a first-person shooter. Like this is their first foray into this market, and they've just smashed it to pieces. That's well, on uh, consoles know. as well. You know, it's, it's it's PC and console. So yeah. you know, they they've taken a big step in doing this. Um, which is saying something when I think they've kind of seen it as more of a simpler project than what they've come off the back of, because this is uh, this is coming out of the, the sort of death throes of Titan and that seven-year-long project that ultimately came to nothing. They decided, well, what are we going to do then? What can we actually build more quickly that's going to get off the, off the ground? And this was that project. Well, this, that's um, interesting that you bring that up because a lot of the, the assets and the, the visuals um, in Overwatch are actually reused ones from Titan. So that's mm. where that art style has come from. Maybe that's why there's no story because they've you know, they had all this shit developed for an MMO and they've had to rip it all apart and, and create this first-person shooter to kind of try and resurrect... That would try and resuscitate an IP, try and create a little bit of revenue from what could have been nothing. Um, so, I mean, that's, that, that's the more cynical view, perhaps? But I wanted to ask Adam a question. So, so Overwatch is, is being, like Richard talked about, it's games as a platform, games as a service. And it's like Richard was saying, it, it's quite bare bones, quite stripped down at the moment, but he's talking about how it's probably going to get fleshed out over time and developed. Now, this game is a, is a £55 game on consoles, uh, mm-hmm. or on PC, or £40, but it's also microtransaction supported. And I just wondered what you... Do you think it's fair to charge that kind of price and then have a microtransaction-supported gaming sort of situation as well? And how do you feel about that? It's it's the Weasley answer, really, for me. Um, it depends how they're doing it. If at any point it becomes where, hey, if you want to actually be competitive in this game, you'd better buy this stuff, then that's yes. not right. I think that's the it's problem. It's nothing like that. But, uh, it, it, all of the unlocks in this game, whether you pay for it or not, every single unlock is aesthetic. So it might yeah. be a different skin... Uh, different spray can icon for when you uh, graffiti and update the environment. Um, different voice samples that your character will play out as you as you play. Um, it's all aesthetic stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, like certainly, I've seen footage of the game. I've not played it myself, but I've seen a lot of it, and you can see quite a lot of money on the screen. Like they have spent an enormous amount making this. I think. It, albeit, I take your point that they're possibly reclaiming some of the loss they made on uh, a failed earlier project, but still, there's a lot of money on the screen, and so they're going to need to get that back. Um, and especially with a, a risky proposition like uh, your first foray into first-person shooter, it doesn't surprise me that there's microtransactions there, and they're looking to to build their profits as high as possible. Um, as I said, like as long as you stay on the sort of the light side of the moral uh, divide, as long as you're not asking people to pay just to be competitive. Um, if it's just cosmetic stuff, then I think it's fair enough, and if gamers don't want it, then they won't buy it, and then it, they won't add any more microtransactions. Um, ultimately, with all issues like this, the gaming market gets what it votes for, and it votes with its credit cards. So if you don't like it, don't buy it, and then it'll never happen again, but people do buy it, so it happens. Don't get me wrong, I, I love it. I think it's a fantastic game. Um, the only thing I wanted to point out about the microtransactions, the interesting thing about the cosmetics um, is that you can duplicate the items, uh, as in um, you can open a pack and get the same thing multiple times, which is a bit oh. of a bummer, especially if you pay for it. But um, especially, and, and can, as well, as I think there's approximately 100 different separate things you can unlock for every character. There are 22 characters. Do the maths. This number's getting very high. And yet you can still duplicate the items when you unlock a box or open a box that you bought, potentially. 
Which so, seems a bit... That seems a bit shit, doesn't it? I, I, I guess there's an under-the-bonnet rarity system going on there, then, where some are common and some are uncommon and some are yeah, rare. Yeah. A bit of that Magic the Gathering booster money, you know. You can, you can either unlock them via... Um, so sort of per level drops, so you get a loot box for every time you level up. That's the reward for leveling. There's no yeah. sort of improvement. Okay. Uh, but every time you uh, level, you you'll get four items. You don't have to wait for those loot crates to get the items. You can actually buy them with in-game currency. Um, the price is different depending on the level of rarity. So I guess that ties into how often they appear in the boxes as well. Well, that, that's pretty cunning. Uh, speaking, like, looking at that from the point of view of a sort of professional game designer, I can see what they're up to there because I'd imagine. I mean, I'm guessing this leveling up system. It's like a classic leveling up where to go from level one to level two takes a small amount of XP. To go from level twenty to level twenty-one takes a lot more. There's yeah. like you're on some diminished yeah. returns curve, and of course, that means your heavy users who are desperate to get more boxes and want that fix. They're having yeah. to work much harder to get these unlocks and are therefore more likely to pay. And they're your heavy users, so they're more likely to pay. And yeah. you're on a, a sort of rolling reward schedule. Yeah, that's clever. They're going to they're gonna make some money out of that. I mean, it's, it's a bit nefarious, but as long but as, I, as I said, as long as it's just cosmetic, I've got no beef. I just want to say, yeah, let's, let's not focus too much on this. I mean, like, the game itself is bloody brilliant. That's what yeah. the takeaway should be. It's a very, very, very good competitive shooter that's incredibly welcoming to new players. In fact, I have to say, the one thing I've heard the most on Twitter about it is people saying, I don't like first-person shooters. This is the first online shooter I've ever liked. And mm-hmm. that's you know, that, that speaks volumes to uh, accessible design, I think. Absolutely. Well, before we talk about other things that I like, let me just quickly knock off a couple of games I've recently reviewed on the website that are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> No real nice way of putting it. Uh, one in particular. The other one wasn't as bad, but I'll get to that. The first one I just reviewed was, and it's just gone up today, uh, Grand Prix Rock and Racing, which is this little indie game that's come out on um, Xbox and I'm guessing everywhere else. So everybody can be subjected to the, the evil of it. Basically, it's a, a top-down, isometric racing game reminiscent of Micro Machines, but with the handling you'd expect in a racing simulator. So you're, you're racing um, sort of open-world uh, Formula One-style cars around a track, um, but the, the the big problem is they handle so precisely that you're just crashing all the time and you lose every time. This is made extra worse by the fact that when you start your career, um, you have like there's a there's like a level progression uh, and a various different categories like acceleration, top speed, braking, and you have no points in anything. Whereas your opponents are all in the midpoint, so they're all immediately better than you. So for you to get upgrade points, you need to do well in the races, but you can't because they're all so much better than you. So you've got terrible handling, an awkward point of view, a broken leveling up system. You've got reused, uh, basically one music track that track that loops infinitely, four music sound bites that are used continuously and drive you insane, and it's kind of glitchy with the visuals as well. So don't play that Sounds game. Great. Don't I'm play. Don't play. Out of interest, you, you you inspired my interest when, with something you said there. Is this made in Unity? Do you know? I didn't. It didn't get the splash. It didn't get, it didn't a, splash get a splash promoting okay. it. No, no. So I, I don't. I don't remember seeing anything promoting Unity in it. And normally they demand that that's the first thing you see, pretty much. Don't they? So the reason I ask is what you described there is clearly a game that should have an arcade racing style handling model. Yeah. But they in fact got a very simulation heavy yeah. kind of handling model. It's fucked. Potentially the reason for this is that 
most game engines have an in-game physics engine with which you can quite easily make a simulation um, handling model because you just kind of work out how real cars move and then you can reproduce it. Creating an arcade handling model, like recreating Super Sprint, is a lot harder because you've got to get acceleration curves right and you've got to get all this right. Whereas if you're doing it with forces and with grip points, it's a lot easier. So my guess would be actually that's almost a piece of laziness. They've done it that way because that's the only way they can make a car. It's actually I mean, easier it, to make a simulation car than an arcade car. I can't remember off the top of my head who the developer was, but I remember looking them up and they're in Spain and their website hasn't been updated since 2012. <laughs> so that says a lot to me about the quality of developer that we're yeah, dealing with right now. Um, it's shovelware of the shoveliest variety, and it, you know it's sub ten pounds. And they're just hoping somebody's going to see a picture of a racing car and go, yeah. "Oh, racing!" and buy it because it's cheap. But uh, also, it sounds like it's um, cashing in on the rock and roll racing on the SNES. Like there was a game that was an isometric perspective um, mm-hmm. super sprint style racing game that did very well on the SNES. So they're looking for a bit of nostalgia money as well. The um, another racing game I played, Super Night Riders, which isn't actually available on the UK Xbox Store. Um, so I don't know when it's coming, and frankly, you probably don't need to wait for it too much. Um, Why they giving you a code for it? I, it? Sometimes happens. I sometimes get we get review codes that are only available from the US Store. It does happen. From I just it happens. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, the other right. one that happened that was uh, Endless Dungeon, and that was about six weeks before it came out in the UK that I got a code for that. That was a good game though. Yeah. But um, Super Night Riders is a... You're on a bike, and you're driving into the screen. Do you remember those types of games where the, the track is scrolling down? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, you do, and all you do, this is all it is, you're driving into the screen, avoiding other bikes over five yeah. different stages with four different music tracks. Now, that, it's very simple, very, very basic, but it does, it does it okay. It does have frame rate issues, which is just like, what? I don't know how, but it, they found a way to stutter uh, in the transitions. It's pretty amazing. But, you know, for what it is, it's it's fine, I guess. It's not it's not the worst game. It's not as bad as the other game, but it's definitely not worth uh, picking up. It, 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 again, it's just trading on retro nostalgia, um, which is which is fine, I guess, if you want to play that game like you played in the 80s or the 90s. Um, but it's, it's just great. I was going to say, you're a Road Rash fan, aren't you, Adam? That'd be out of your screen. I... I... Yeah, I was. I'm shamefully... I'm slightly ashamed <laughs> of that now. Because it is one of those games where when you're a kid and you play it, like, man, Road Rush is amazing. And then it doesn't even survive the nostalgia of five years later when you see it and go, <laughs> this runs at one frame a second. Everything is bad about this game. It is terrible. Well, so, I saw this and I thought Road Rush. I thought Road Rush as well, but there's no combat. So it's not, it's not Road Rash. It's just... It's just Avoid a do- the other bikes. A dodger mob, basically. Yeah, it's it's yeah. boring. It's boring. It's just boring. Um, and then the final thing I put up today is I, I did an early look at Subnautica in game preview on Xbox One. Um, and that's got a lot of promise. I, I really like the concept of that. Uh, the idea that you crashed onto an alien world that's just sea, just water. and it's, So it's a survival game that's set in, almost entirely underwater. Um, so it adds some interesting mechanics because of that. Um, it's been around on PC for about well, probably like a couple of years now, I think, in early access. But um, it's got it's got potential to become something pretty cool if they if they deal with some of the technical problems. Again, it's very framey. Uh, it's got some weird hit detection issues and stuff like that. But you know, that's what game preview is all about. So fingers crossed they can tighten things up and you know make it as good as it has the potential to be. So yeah, that's, that was pretty good. Have you guys heard of Subnautica? 
I have. Uh, I've heard the rumours bouncing around in the indie world that I live in uh, that is actually very good. So mm. I, I, I'm interested in that one. That people tell me it's it's sort of very nice. It's just a cool setting. I was I amused mean, because yeah. it's the, the whole the whole biome of underwater like sea life and it's and it's also quite um, stressful and oppressive because you're dealing with oxygen and uh, managing those kind of resources as well. But then you know you're discovering things and it all feels very alien and mysterious and and it's quite pretty and you know it's lit well and yeah it's uh it's just got some weird technical bugs right now. But yeah, I think they could probably sort that out. But yeah, check check that one out if you're looking to do the whole testing thing on your console. I'm still not sure that's the best concept ever invented to do like an early access on console. But while it exists, it exists. You know, nothing wrong with it. Who wants Adam? Do you want to talk about an amazing game I sent you to review? <laughs> yeah, good. So I'm assuming you sent me this because I have a I have a past infatuation with Magic the Gathering, and so it's a card game, and so of course yes the key lands in my inbox, and that's fine, and I download it. And um, I did a bit of research on this game. It's called Battle for Sector 219, and as far as I can see, it is a complete retheme of a previous game, Battle for Hill 218. Do you see what they've done there? It's very clever. <laughs> I have no idea. That's... And Battle for 218 is an, is an iOS um, card game uh, thing, that uh, is based in the Second World War, and it's you're fighting for one of the hills on the Japanese islands that are all referred to by number. Um, and it's a very straightforward kind of take that sort of card game. And they've basically, they're selling this as a sequel to it, but it's not really a sequel, because as far as I could see from watching footage of the original I, I, um, iPad version, it's just a straight retheme. There's nothing in the original game that's, that's not here, and there's nothing here that isn't in the original game. So it's just a sci-fi retheme of that, and so the actual, you know, the, the the technical ins and outs of the app are very good. Like it's all fine. It's got quite nice music. Um, the interface. I've certainly played card games with far worse interfaces in my time. The core problem is the the card game at the heart of it is just a super boring card game. Um, first bad point it got for me was when you try to find out the rules for this game. There's a button that's marked help, and you click this, and it says, would you like to know the rules? Yes, I would. At which point, it minimizes the game, opens a web browser, and opens a PDF of the rules of the card game that is clearly written for a proper cardboard copy of the card game. Because it, the first thing it says is, you know, both players have to shuffle their decks, and here's how you have to lay the table out. And you're like, well, I'm playing a video game, so I don't have to do any of that. So this is, this is low production values, shall we say. That's but then when you start playing the game, the actual flow of the game is that you've got a handful of cards that represent the units in your army, and you're trying to deploy them to occupy your opponent's base square. And you're playing them down into squares on a kind of infinite grid where you can just keep extending and expanding out as much as you want. You can only play adjacent to your units, so you're sort of spreading like an amoeba. And whenever you play a unit adjacent to one of their units, um, it shoots that unit and destroys it based on the characteristics of your card. Each card has got a different sort of pattern of attacks it can make. Although I say each card's got a different pattern of attacks, actually most of the cards have got orthogonal patterns. Occasionally you get one that can go diagonally, and there's a special type called artillery, which can go two squares directly in front of it. The end result of all these rules is that the actual gameplay of the game is I play a card, you play a card to blow it up. I play a card, you play a card to blow it up. I play a card, you play a card to blow it up. And this continues until I get so bored, very nice, Ben and Jerry's, very good. 
I get so bored I start playing cards somewhere else, at which point you occupy the space that you've blown up my unit in and now take my base. It's just super dull. Like, the game doesn't, like, function as a card game. And I think one of the reasons I'm so negative on it is I'm very into my kind of card games and board games, and a lot of uh, board game publishers now, when they make a game, will release a free iPad version of the game, essentially as a marketing tool to get people to play it and in the hope that they'll drive sales with that. And this definitely works because I can point to three or four card games on my shelves right now that I bought because I played the free iPad version. So if you're going to release a video game, card game, sort of hybrid, it needs to be better than this because you're up against the best of the industry. You know, you you need to take on things like Star Realms and Dominion and Ascension. These are properly brilliant games, excellently designed, and this is just not that. It's so simple and boring. A game of it takes about five minutes, and at the end of it, you're not even sure you can point to anything and say, oh, well, if I'd taken a different decision here, I would have won. Like, There's nothing like that. It's just this aimless plod ultimately decided by what cards you draw out of your deck, and it's just really, really boring. Richard, are you eating like are you eating ice cream as Adam tells us about this car game? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. why you said Ben and Jerry's. We're not sponsored by Ben and Jerry's, everyone. I'm just eating some. Very that's good. A, that's, that's, every time you see him take a mouthful, Adam, if you're talking, just throw to him like a question or something. <laughs> that's what. That, that's this what, is a good idea. This yeah, is a good that's idea. Um, it does not sound exciting. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the world's biggest card game player, but when I saw this, I saw a sci-fi card game and went, oh yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I had high hopes. I had genuinely high hopes, and then I mean, there's like other little like things about it that bothered me. Actually, learning the rules for a game that's actually when you do know how to play it, very very simple. The way the PDF rulebook explains it is really round the houses. Like it's hard to learn, and you just sit there and you just lose and lose and lose, not really knowing what's going on until you start to finally figure it out. And then once you have figured it out, you win and win and win because once you've solved the puzzle, that's it. You've solved the puzzle, and you just know how to beat the AI now. And that's it. It's very, just very limited. I don't know what they're actually charging for it because obviously I've got a free key, you know. But this is not worth that much money. This, it, it's like it's a distraction for an hour or so, maybe, and then you've solved it, and then you never want to play it again. Can't wait to see the score for that review. Yeah, it's going to be really good. The one I see it is four out of five. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just won me over in the last minute. Who'd have thought? Uh, all right, okay. Uh, so everybody uh, except Richard has played lots of sucky games. So Richard got the good one this week. I didn't even mention since the last podcast I reviewed Homefront: The Revolution and oh. Tunnels, both of which were below average in every conceivable oh. Oh, way. What, what did you think about Homefront? Because we enjoyed the preview of that, didn't we? Uh, we did. It's but sadly that beta um, in that co- that co-op multiplayer mode. There isn't really any more to that co-op multiplayer mode. That's kind of all there was to it. Um, no. So it's incredibly slight. And then the story is just... And the campaign is just a glitchy mess of cliched bullshit. Like, the gunplay feels bad. The traversal feels bad. The writing is bad. The characters are a joke. The only thing that's nice is the setting and the environment. It's That's quite well done, and it conveys a sense of dread and oppression quite well. But then everything else is just, oh, God, it's just terrible. I mean, at one point, I'm riding on my, my motorcycle right, to go to an objective, and I'm like, oh, yeah, and you get to the objective. And I kind of slowed right down and parked, and then when I got off the motorcycle, it sort of ejected me 100 feet into the air, and then I came crashing down, died, 
So I had to reload, and it went. I lost about an hour and a half worth of progress because the checkpoint is so bad. <laughs> so I was just like, "Oh, awesome! That's fun. <laughs> cool. I didn't know this bike had an ejector seat. I don't want to ever use this game again." Um, no, it's just not. It's just really. It just lacks polish. Like it's quite a cool idea. It's just needed another. I don't know, a year maybe. I don't, I don't think you can say Homeland needed Homefront needed more time. How long was it? <laughs> Yeah, but it had, it, had, it had a nightmare in development, didn't it? It, got, it, was, it was THQ, and then it was D Silver, and it was like, yeah, it's like they had a real bad time with it, but, and, that's, and I understand that, but it's just like, you get the distinct impression that Deep Silver were like, this has to come out now, yeah, yeah. We, have a, we have a quarterly earnings thing to deal with, we've got a deadline, you know, deadlines, we've got money, we've got people to pay, this game needs to come out. And it's like, mm, should not have come out. When a game goes through a cycle of developers like that, usually what happens is someone at the end of it inherits an absolute clusterfuck and has to just cobble any releasable product together out of it in about three months. And that is that is what it feels like. And it's a shame because I think it had real potential to be something quite cool. I, I, I've always liked that idea, the Red Dawn, the whole kind of like, you know, um, alternative history, alternative like uh, future sort of stuff. I think I think that's a fascinating concept. But it's it's just dealt with so poorly that it's just not worth not worth playing. Not when you've got like a Doom shooter out there right now, which is just amazing, and everybody should play it. So um, you know, there's no point in playing Homefront. And then Turtles was just <sighs> Turtles was a license cash-in, and it was disappointing because Platinum is quite good, uh, and it wasn't. It was very boring. So there you go. And that's that. Should we should we talk about happier things though? <laughs> Who wants to talk about well potentially happier things? I was going to say. Shall we get onto E3? Yes, let's get on to it. I mean, I know we've all played lots more games, but this is already probably going to be a, a pretty lengthy show, and there's lots to talk about that's coming up at E3. Um, so, should we, let, let's quickly, I'm going to quickly run down the UK times for the conferences, and I'm also going to tell you guys, everybody who's watching this, that I am committing to live coverage on the website and on the Twitters for every single conference this year. Oh, you can't do. I am. Some of them are like three in the morning, mate. I know. I have time off work just to do this. It's gonna wow. kill me. Committed. It's gonna kill me. That's what I'm. I'm gonna try it. I've never done all of them. Um. So I'm literally gonna try and turn myself onto West Coast American time zone, and uh, sleep during the day. That's my plan. I'm not even kidding. So, I'm kind of hoping that no one helps you with this, just to see what happens. Now. I don't think anybody's gonna. I don't think anybody else is gonna do a 3 a.m. coverage. <laughs> I'm not expecting any of you fuckers to help me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're like, Richard. I could help, but I'm not gonna. That's, no, that's no. <laughs> and then we'll do a, We can do a podcast site on the Wednesday, and you can all see what I've turned into like a ghoul from Fallout. That's, that'd be good. My <laughs> eyes have melted out of my face. My flesh has fallen away, and I'm just like, Ugh. yeah. That's probably you are gonna have to listen to a lot of awkward links as well. You're gonna really enjoy that at three in the morning. I can't wait. I, yeah, I can't. What's the first one? So we got okay. EA. This is. Let's go through it so you can see how hard my life's going to be. EA is Sunday at nine p.m. That's fine. That's cool. I, I'm happy to do that. Uh, Bethesda is Monday morning at three a.m. Yeah. So it starts on Monday proper for me. Right. Okay. Microsoft then is five thirty p.m. on Monday, followed by the eight p.m. Uh, PC gaming thing. I'm, I'm, I imagine that's going to be shit because it was last year. But we'll see what happens there. Uh, Ubisoft is uh, 9 p.m. on Monday. Then Tuesday is 2 a.m. is Sony and PlayStation. And then uh, that, so the hard ones are going to be Bethesda and Sony, 3 a.m. and 2 a.m. So that's that's going to be tricky. And then Nintendo's doing their live stream thing of Zelda and other bits 
at 5 p.m. on Tuesday to round out the conferences. Uh, so that's, uh, oh boy, that's a lot of bad internet streaming and Twitter fun that I'm going to be having. <laughs> I, uh, I can't wait to put myself through that. Yeah. I, need to see, I need to see your face on the PlayStation 1, 2 in the morning when they're showing Last Guardian again for the seventh year. Oh, it's funny because it's definitely true. But let's, let me talk, tell you why I want to do this then. I think this year's E3 could be very, very interesting um, and have some real surprises in there. Um, and the main reason being hardware. So let's talk straight away about these potential hardware revisions that we could be seeing on the big consoles. So we've got we've got a Sony with a PlayStation 4.5 or the Project, Project Neo or whatever they're calling it at the moment. Uh, we've got Microsoft's rumors of a slim version of the Xbox One coming out this year and potentially a new sort of hardware revision next year. Um, Project Scorpio, uh, I believe. Pro- Project, no, uh, yeah, they're, they're Helix. Helix. Oh, that's Yeah, Pro- Scorpio is just, I think, the slim version of Xbox One, but the idea of them bringing out this new piece of hardware next, re- next year, integrating closer with Windows 10, is part of mm. Project Helix. Okay. Because it's like a double Helix... Like interweaving Windows 10 with my Xbox, see? Oh, that Helix. sounds good. Clever, huh? Clever. Woohoo! I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm doing the Macarena or something. It's great. Um, but yeah, so that's that's interesting. Richard, you don't seem too happy about this because you put in the show notes, new hardware is bullshit. So <laughs> I, I'd quite like to hear you expand upon that concept, Richard. Because I think it's quite exciting. Because I'm well, a sucker for spending money, obviously. So... What did, what I'm becoming more, more and more unsure of myself as the rumours um, start to snowball. But I've, I've put that it's bullshit in more than one sense. Bullshit that I don't believe it's going to happen, but it's looking more and more likely that it will. If it does, it's still bullshit because it's far too early to be disrupting this current generation. I can't see the business sense in it. You know what? I've always thought of this podcast. I've always been the, the corporate champion, haven't I? given excuses to Sony and Microsoft for the terrible things that they do to us as consumers. And um, I can't defend that. If they actually go and release new hardware now, after however many millions of us have bought new hardware in the past three years, two years, maybe one year, because there's, yeah. there'll be a lot of people who've only just bought into this generation. Why? What, who, what is the benefit to anybody of making new hardware now? Are sales drying up? I don't think they are. Um, will it make games better? No, because developers will still need to support the existing hardware. I can't see what what's in it for anybody. So, I don't know. My, my feeling is still that it either won't happen, or if it does, it'll have nothing to do with gaming whatsoever, and it'll be more geared towards other features like supporting VR or, well, I don't know, some sort of PC crossover device, as you say, um, that can do Windows 10 fully. So the, so the big argument would be, the reason that we're seeing this hardware revision is that when these consoles came out, due to the protracted life cycles of the previous consoles, when these guys, the, the new console generation came out, it was already out of date. It was already horribly behind uh, PC. So PC has become this dominant force for developers, and it's pushing things forward and forward, and the consoles are going further and further behind so that they need to be upgraded, otherwise it's just going to become a joke. I mean, you do not see that? They don't, do no, they don't that? need to at all. I mean, the Nintendo, I know Nintendo, have thought, I've gone off the ball recently, but the Wii proved otherwise. You don't need up-to-date hardware. 
to push a successful console and platform. Don't need it. Um, it's an artificial barrier to um, software development. You don't need to have new hardware to make games better. And uh, to me, the current crop of uh, consoles is absolutely fine in terms of performance. I don't need anything more than that. And if I did, if I wanted regular updates, it's what for buy a PC. I mean, so, so the other thing would be you mentioned it as well, VR. Now. The big thing is we've got PlayStation VR launching at the end of the year, uh, and it's going to need a breakout box. Uh, and it's already there's talks and rumors that what you're going to get out of this is going to be quite poor in comparison to the Oculus and to the Vive and to things like that. So there's talks that that's one of the reasons why uh, the new PlayStation is going to come around. And of course, the latest rumor is that there's already a strong, a fairly good business relationship, I should say, between Microsoft and Oculus, and that the updated PlayStation One or the PlayStation One Two as I've rumoured that that's what they're calling it internally, uh, will have a much improved processing power and graphics output so that they can support an Oculus uh, VR kit with it. Now, would that mm -hmm. not interest you? Would you not want, Would you not be interested in that concept? Potentially, I would. And when the PlayStation VR was first mooted, I thought, yeah, day one for me, I'll, I'll be getting into that. Because that's been kind of a dream of mine since... I was young, I guess, just a viable virtual reality platform. The closer it gets, the more I'm thinking, well, what's the catch? Because PlayStation VR is the one that's the cheapest, um, the closest to a wide-scale launch. I don't believe it's going to be successful because VR never has been. Console add-ons of that kind of price range never have been. And I, I think if you're going to do something in VR... You need to go the whole hog, and PlayStation VR probably isn't right. Um, on the other side of the coin, if you're going to look at the Xbox proposition, and the rumour is they're going to support Oculus, that sounds great. Um, but whether I can afford to buy a new console that supports Oculus, as well as an Oculus headset itself, that's going to cost yeah. more money than I've got, frankly. So, yeah, I'm just a bit... Um, I, I can't see the business sense in all this. That's the bottom line, and... It, for someone like me who just pretty much buys into everything, if I'm not sold on it, then I don't know. I'm kind of a bellwether for, uh, you know, where what people are prepared to pay, and if I'm not prepared to pay for it, then they might be in trouble. I mean, you you have a Surface and a Microsoft phone. I mean, it's like you couldn't really be more into Microsoft if you tried. I mean, it's like yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, you're talking about price. Surely a new Xbox and an Oculus is going to take you up to about a thousand pounds, which is kind of insane if you think about it. Yeah. And so the other argument would be, hey, you go out and you buy a new iPhone every year or two, why would you not buy uh, a new console every year or two? Well, that's the thing. You don't buy a new iPhone every two years, do you? Um, Vodafone or whoever gives it to you, and you pay a subscription. Um, and there have been rumours that there might, there might be similar subscription models for consoles, but the difference there is I always have been a multi-platform gamer. And I'm not going to have two separate contracts with Sony and Microsoft and then possibly a third for Nintendo if they ever catch up to this generation. Um, it's just not going to happen. So I, I think if that happens, it just stifles the, the reach of games and you'll have far more people just buying into one console or the other. And someone's got massive feedback. No, I think I think that's traffic, at Adam's end. But no, I was yeah. going to say, as as a uh, as an indie developer, Adam, and as a PC gamer, yes. a non-console gamer, what do you think about all this bullshit with hardware? 
In when fairness, you I, I was a console gamer until the Xbox 360 kind of generation, um, and then Xbox One is the one I haven't bought, and I didn't buy it because it was a tremendous amount of money at a time when I was quite short of money, and I've never been sold on why I need one. Um, I still actually play games on my 360 and enjoy it. It's still fine. Um, I think a lot of things are kind of misleading where like the idea that we need to go to a new generation to get better hardware, more horsepower, better visuals. If you look at the sales figures for on the PC market for games that kind of need the high-end gear, they don't do nearly as well. Like PC gaming, the, the bread and butter of it is kind of the top end of the indie sector. I think if you look at the minimum spec even for a game like Overwatch, I think you'd be surprised to see how low that game can go and still be playable. Um, people are realizing more and more now that narrowing the required hardware that you have, that you demand of your players, does really, really hurt your sales. And that actually most of the market is on old gear still. Um, and certainly I know from talking to people who work on console games right now, the Xbox One, you're not seeing anything like its full reach because everyone's making the game. They also have to make a 360 version because if they don't, they throw millions of sales in the bin. So... If you're making a 360 version, you make the Xbox One version, the 360 version with high res textures and slightly higher poly count. But you certainly don't like really start pushing at games that require the extra CPU horsepower and that sort of thing. Um, my expectation from the Microsoft uh, hardware would be Microsoft have been chasing the dream of the set-top box now for about 10 years. That, what they want is they want to be the entertainment provider. They don't necessarily want to just be games. And if you remember some of the early promotional stuff for the Xbox One, it was all focused on, hey, you can watch films now, and you can surf the internet now, and, and we can supply television on demand, and we can be a TiVo, and we can do all this other stuff as well. And that's that's always been what they want, because that's where I think the real the riches are. Uh, it's not in gaming, which is an increasingly shrinking cul-de-sac uh, as the phones just impinge more and more on that territory and most people now the expected price for a video game on a phone is zero they expect it to be free um, so more and more they want to be the, the content delivery platform they want to be netflix rolled in with tivo rolled in with any whatever your tv on demand provider is as well um, so that's where i'd expect new hardware to go whether you'd see a big leap in um sort of console hardware, whether you'd see like better graphics and better CPUs and stuff, I'd actually be very surprised. Because as Richard said, like what would be the point in killing the Xbox One generation at this stage? It would just be crazy. And to even hint that that's what you're planning to do would just drop Xbox One sales into the into a pit. Well, that's the that's the problem, isn't it? This leaked information is like the original plan supposedly was that Microsoft would have got to come out at this E3 and be like, "Hey, slim Xbox coming out this Christmas. Pick that up. You know, it's going to be sexy. It's going to have a, a bigger hard drive internal. It's going to be redesigned console." And that that seems quite likely that they'll do that. The slim the slim um, models have always come out after three or four years or two or three years uh, of a console cycle. But then they were going to come out next E3 and they were going to go, "Hey, here's the new Xbox One too." Uh, yeah. And that way, it wouldn't have hurt their sales for that intervening year. But now that there's leaked information, um, I think it's already... I mean, if you go on the major gaming websites right now, they're actually telling people, don't buy a console right now. Yeah. Wait, see what happens, see what people say, because you could be really burnt. So it's already... Cause just from the leaks, has already hurt their sales. So God knows what would actually happen if they announced these things. Um, but, I mean, talking about what you were saying about units and install base and stuff, Adam... 
I mean, what do you say to 40 million PlayStation 4 sold and 25 million Xbox Ones? Well, okay. I mean, those are good numbers. I, I'm skeptical of them, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because if that's the case, like, it's, 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 do you remember there was all the talk about the Wii? Back back in the day, the Wii had mm. an installed base the size of the planet. It was insanity. And then you'd look at the sales of the games on those platforms, and you'd say, yeah. who are these billions of people worldwide who have bought a Wii and never bought a single game for it? Like, it's just the Wii Sports player for them, apparently. And and the similar thing is with the console games. Like, yes, the, the installed base of this hardware is really, really high, but the sales for the games on those platforms... I mean, I, I don't actually have access to the figures anymore because I don't have my development studio ac- um, access to those that sort of information. But you look at the behavior of the developers and you go, well, if... if if an Xbox exclusive console game had access to 40 million potential purchasers, you wouldn't see as much cross-platform stuff. You certainly wouldn't still see PC ports being made. You wouldn't see this drive to get the hot indie PC stuff onto the consoles. The consoles would be doing much better, in my opinion, if those numbers were super accurate. Um, I mean, I don't know. I know I haven't bought an Xbox One. I know a lot of people who haven't bought an Xbox One who had an Xbox 360, um, all of my friends have kind of moved over into the PC indie space. Maybe that's just, you know, unique to my circle of friends, because a lot of them got sacked from game development jobs and had to set up on their own as an indie developer, and so you tend to play the games that are in the sector you play in. Um, but I'm, I'd be surprised if, if those figures really held up. Well, they the, do, the popular they, they... as far as I know, has been from Xbox 360 players to move over to PS4. But the, the interesting thing that I heard a while back was the attach rate for Xbox One is mm-hmm. significantly higher than PS4 players. But I suppose that's that's what comes to the territory, isn't it? If you're the leading platform, yeah. you're going to pick up the casual gamers that don't actually buy games. So, you know, it's um, it's six of one, half a dozen of yeah, the other. It is. So let's let's use that as one of my skillful segues. Watch this. Let's talk about some of the games. Let's talk about things we are excited about seeing at E3. The hardware is all very interesting, um, but it could all be a whole heap of bullshit. So um, let's talk about some games and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, like, let's talk about the obvious ones first. Anybody excited about any of these games? Battlefield 1, Titanfall 2, Mass Effect Andromeda, to, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, Watch Dogs 2. Anybody getting hyped for that? Because I know I am. I really yeah, like yeah, the Battlefield <laughs> What did you say, Richard? I missed it entirely, mate. Yes, 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 and no. Not no, which Watch one was Dogs. no? Which one was no? Watch Dogs. Yeah. Oh, I didn't like Watch Dogs. Watch Dogs was cool, man. I enjoyed Maybe that it's game. Kind of, I don't know. It's one of those on the game. back burner. Yeah. I keep meaning to go back to it, but I just never really gelled with it. The whole, um, what the fuck is this car driving dynamic bullshit. Um, just the repetitive nature of... Um, bollards coming out of the roads as if that's something new and cool. No, you showed me for the last two years in trailers. Sorry, Ubisoft. But <laughs> um, no, it just kind of got old before it even came out, and then I just didn't have enough energy for it when it did arrive. And it's, it suffered from the typical Ubisoft thing of just giving you a map with everything on it from the beginning, and didn't mm. it know how to filter filter the content out to you in a fun way. Um, yeah, it's just it's difficult to enjoy. When there's that much of it, it's just like a really delicious meal with the the puddings all mashed into the steak and you know. 
fully smashed into the Depending on the pudding, that could be okay. But, you know, <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying. I, I totally understand. I quite like the game. I like the idea. I wasn't a fan of Aiden Pierce. It's amazing, actually, I remember his name, to be honest. He was such a, just a, a white douchebag dude. But maybe that, like, everybody talked about it so much as that. You know, maybe that's why I remembered him. But I tell you what, I am if very. You're gonna make up, if you're going to make up and guess a bullshit name for a Ubisoft character, it might be yeah. Aiden Pierce. So. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it, it does seem accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. I, I am still wetting myself with excitement over that. Um, there was some very early leaked footage, which was maybe from prototypey early stuff, uh, showing jetpack action and new Mako stuff. And it looked rough as fuck and super, super early, but even that got me excited. It's my favorite franchise of all time. Famously going back to the old, the old, web, the old website, what we were before, Brit Xbox. Mass Effect 2 was our game of the generation, I believe, uh, on Brit Xbox. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's a series I hold very close to my heart and very, very dear. So I'm very excited to see uh, what that is. What else. Anybody else hyped for Mass Effect? Yeah, particularly the return of the Mako, if that's bad. Because I'm one of the few proponents of like transportation. Really loved that in the first game. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm kind of half and half on it in that I, I I never thought the original implementation of the Mako stuff was actually any good, but I could totally see why it was there, and I think mm-hmm. it kind of was a obvious hole when it was removed because. Because then the whole game just became, oh, I visited this planet, but this planet is actually just these six rooms, which is where I'm <laughs> going to go in the space station. And the Mako gave you a real sense that you were actually exploring the galaxy. Like, it did a job. Didn't do it particularly well, but I could see why it was there. Yeah, and then in Mass Effect 2... You just felt more connected, didn't you? I, mean, you see, yeah. what, I can't remember what the other transport was that they introduced. Like the the Hammerhead. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Hover tank. Um, you still yeah. kind of had that, but it never right. felt truly connected with the world, yeah, or yeah, as yeah. if you were kind of battling with the environments, although it felt kind of horrible to traverse those moonscapes. There was still the sense that that was part of the experience. You're an explorer on an uncharted world. He's struggling with it, you know? And what they did in 2, they replaced it with sending probes down which yeah. didn't work nearly as well to give you a sense of the space and the you know the exploration of the galaxy. So the idea that we're humans and we're no longer in our own galaxy and the idea we're explorers and we're like carving out a, a space for, for our race and stuff like that, it's, uh, I don't know, it tickles that little colonial itch I have as a Brit. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, my expansionist desire to spread my influence across the planet or the galaxy, uh, I think... I, I think that's one written into our DNA. So um, I, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite excited about playing that and seeing that. Um, Battlefield One certainly looks sharp as all hell and 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 very pretty from that trailer. I expect us to see some proper gameplay from that. Anybody else feeling the hype for Battlefield One? I think the the limitations that it will bring will be interesting because we've been geared more and more towards. Uh, uh, near future or even you know further into the future with where Call of Duty is going and that brings uh, much more scope in terms of what they can bring to the franchise but that's not always a good thing it's nice to be given a set of tools and then see what people can do with it so limiting it within that World War One universe I'm interested to see that because it's not something we've uh, had for quite a while I mean, is this something you? I mean, Adam. Do you, I mean, you play your PC games, but I can't remember if you have a good enough rig to play these PC games. Is this um, you check out on the Origin service? I'm pretty sure I don't. My rig was not good enough to play the culling at any kind of sensible level. I, I just mostly got killed when I tried to play that because the frame rate was very poor. So no, and also I have to realize I have a real antipathy towards 
bloke with gun games, and Battlefield 1 would definitely fall uh, foul of that uh, disinterest. It certainly is a bloke with a gun, but it could be a bloke with a very old gun. So, I this mean, is true. I think help? their decision to set it in World War One is sort of interesting. It actually gave me some pause, and I don't want to drag the podcast off into super SJW navel-gazing. But <laughs> when we don't, don't worry about it. But World War One was such a brutal, meat-grinder, horrific crime against humanity, it sort of made me hesitate when I was like, oh, you're making interactive entertainment based on that, where I can be a hero and succeed, because you couldn't succeed in World War One. You would stand in a trench, get trench foot, and then die horribly, screaming in the mud. Like, it was not fun, ever, for anyone. And I'm, I always hesitate when people start glorifying those sort of real-world conflicts. It just does give me poor pause. That was a, that's a really good point, uh, and I really hope they go for it. You know, they don't shy away from the grim reality of the conflict. I feel like they're aware of what you just said, and, and I, I think if they ignored it and they and they just sort of like go jingoistic and hey, we're Americans, we weren't really even in this conflict very much, but we saved the day all the time somehow. If they do something like that, you know, then they'd get so much hate and so much negativity that it could really mm-hmm. damage them. So I think they're going to have to do something that is realistic and actually. Uh, does address things. I mean, in the trailer, there was a, a shot of what looked like a guy suffering from shell shock, um, you know, and de- having to deal with all the, you know, artillery okay. going up around him and stuff like that. So it's it's poten- potentially they they are going to um, try and ground it a little bit. I, I've always found, I mean, the campaign in the last Battlefield game, a lot of people didn't like it. I actually quite liked it because it, it told the story of just four dudes in a unit. They weren't they weren't like um, you know the big heroes. They didn't save the day. They were just fighting for the guy next to them. And I think that's that's kind of I, the kind of story I quite enjoyed that I liked. I thought Battlefield 4 wasn't too bad in terms of campaign, but whether that's enough to carry off a World War One game, I don't know. I've kind of got on out of the side on that. I'd, I'd be worried about whether they've got the chops to get the emotional engagement side of it right, rather than just have a story that you think, yeah, all right, I yeah. suppose that kind I mean, of works. <laughs> My concern is that a lot, and I've, I've seen other games try to do this with World War Two, where they try to kind of address the um, the sort of the, you know the the moral questions of warfare and everything. And often, what it translates to is, here's the really cool bit where you shoot thirty Nazis in the head. Oh, but now we're going to play some sad music, and this man's going to tell you about his wife. No, back yeah. to killing the Nazis. It's awesome. Like, that you know what I mean? They need to do better than that. They need to do something. Deeper than just like occasional nods towards sadness. Saying that, the bit in Battlefield 4 that stuck with me the most was um, there's, there's a bit where you're trying to escape from this sinking ship, and there's people under the under this oh, yeah. grate, like uh, filling yeah. up with water, and they're on your side, and you have this debate about whether to leave them there to drown or to shoot them or whatever, and. Um, you don't actually ever see them. You just hear them yeah. uh, screaming for a bit, and then that's the end of them. They're suddenly gone. Without any real fanfare, just the knowledge that you maybe could have done something, maybe you couldn't, but you didn't in the end. And it's just that horrible feeling of emptiness that yeah. really that worked. So if they can evoke that more in the new Battlefield 1, then maybe they'll be onto something. Maybe. Mm. Indeed, and then there's Titanfall 2, where you get to be a massive robot with a sword. Yay, <laughs> sword man! There you go. That's the interesting thing, though, isn't it? EA have got, and there was news the other day that I believe uh, the big EA guy said, Titanfall 2 would be out within three weeks of Battlefield 1. 
Um, so EA is publishing both of these games, the two big shooters at the end of the year, basically, uh, and they're going to be basically next door to each other in releases. Uh, obviously, they are completely different in their settings and their style of gameplay, but um, it seems like a it could have been a mistake to do that. I don't know what you guys think, but I, I feel like that's a bit... You're going to have you have Call of Duty in there as well. You're going to have Gears of War 4 at the end of the year as well. I mean, it's it's the typical silly season, but it even yeah. it even seems by that standard it's extra silly. So, what do you think? It's it's an odd one. Sorry, go on, Adam. I was going to say, like, I assume they're looking at some marketing data that says the people who want to buy one are not interested in buying the other. Um, or possibly just the purchasing behavior of gamers has changed since my day. Uh, back in my day, it was like most gamers would buy... We would work on the principle that most gamers would buy one game a month. And so you'd give a month space around anything that was going to be serious competition. Um, I, I guess they know what they're doing, but it does seem odd. It definitely seems odd. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, why not pace it out? Yeah, why not pop it into the new year? Why not move it a little bit away from that season uh, and just spread things out a little bit? I, I, mm, I don't know. But, I mean, Titanfall 2, I feel, is EA going up directly against Call of Duty. Um, and, and, you know, you couldn't have a more apt battle considering who Titanfall is, the Respawn guys, and Respawn used to be Infinity Ward, and, you know, all of this and all of that. And, yeah, let's see who does better. I, I, I didn't put Call of Duty on the list because... It doesn't look interesting to me, but I don't know if you guys are particularly interested by it. But I'm, 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 not, I'm not. I'm not, but it, it will still sell all the copies. Like, I don't, well, I don't know. I think last year it was the first one where they dipped in sales. Is that right? I hope I've not made that up. But I think no, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. The way I see the, the logic of this release window, um, obviously there'll be an element of cannibalization between Titanfall and Battlefield. Because uh, not everyone can buy two games in a month. Like Adam says, it's normally one for most people. Um, the other side to that is that games last longer in this online age. Yeah. Um, both of those games will have campaigns attached to them, so it won't necessarily make a big difference to people if they want to try the campaign first and then dip into the multiplayer later on. It will still be around. And either way, whichever one of those games people buy that's potentially one less sale for Call of Duty that they're not publishing. So I can see the business sense for that. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Now let's, um, let's should we start dipping into things that are a little bit further out, a little bit more nebulous. And I, th- I saw one on your list, Richard, which was Sea of Thieves, which is Rare's new title. Yeah, um, I, I'm hoping for some good news for... UK publishing and old school gaming in general, really, after the death of Lionhead this year. Um, that's a that's a difficult news story for those of us who like England-centric video gaming, which is a rare commodity these these days. And um, Rare is probably the last bastion of Microsoft-owned, high-profile publishing houses that we could expect something unique from with a, a, a proper British stamp on it. And now that they've stopped developing for Connect, Sea of Thieves is their first opportunity to really uh, show a new IP um, and re-establish themselves, really, as something other than um, the jobbers for Microsoft to pump out whatever crap they're doing next, you know, whether it's Connect titles or avatars for the dashboard. They've not really done anything of substance this generation um, and for several years before, so... I'm, I'm hoping that they'll get their mojo back. 
So the Sea of Thieves was announced uh, last year's E3, and we've heard nothing in the intervening year. It's basically a shared world pirate crazy sort of, you know, sail around the high seas, have a crew of buccaneers, and uh, do piratey things. And it looks like yeah. a, a really good time. It looks like a fucking game. Like, yeah. And everyone on the ship is, like, your mate, aren't they? It's all mm. multiplayer, um, so everyone's got their own role on the ship. looks great fun, if it yeah. works. I don't want to be the bosun, though, because that doesn't sound very good. I don't know what it is, but it, I don't, you can, I, don't. You, I think you can be semen stains. <laughs> very good. Uh, I, I'm talking about fantasy fantasy booking, though. I want them to hurry up and move CFDs out the door so they can be the developers on the next Fable. That's that's <laughs> yes. what I want to happen, more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just call me a... I love Fable. I'm, I, I want more Fable. I want more Fable. <laughs> So, but I'm going to use that as a segue. Talking about RPG games, uh, Adam, are you yes. a are you a Witcher fan? Uh, I am a Witcher fan. I have uh, I think I played the first one a bit, and since then I've been unfortunately without hardware sufficiently powerful enough to play them, and without <laughs> the time. So you're a Witcher fan? I like and you yet you haven't played any Witcher games. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, so I've kind of just lost touch, really. I don't, you know, I've been well, very busy. The reason I bring that up is. The, the reason I bring that up is I'm a massive fan of Witcher 3. I am currently playing that uh, whenever I'm not reviewing another game, basically. I, I'm going back to that. I'm trying to get through it. It's such a beautiful, amazing world. Uh, but the reason I'm bringing that up right now is that you put on your list that you're a bit bummed out that there's yes. no showing from Cyberpunk 2077. See, now this I am a fan of, so yes. Yeah, obviously CD, CD Projekt Red are showing something. I imagine there's some uh, extensions to the Witcher universe coming our way. But... They're also working on Cyberpunk 2077, and they released a trailer for it a long time ago mm-hmm. that I have watched more times than I should have, and I'm very, very excited about it. I've actually played the, um, the tabletop RPG that Cyberpunk 2077 is inspired by. It is one of the best pieces of world building that I've ever encountered. It's everything you want from the Cyberpunk setting. It's just wonderful. And man, that trailer looked like they're really going to do it justice. So I would love to see more of it, but the rumours at the moment are they're not going to be showing anything more about it, and it's kind of on the back burner. But oh, well, they've I said Witcher, they've said they're done with Witcher for a while, but they've also said that they've they've got other IP they're developing and working on that isn't either of these. So it could be yeah. that what we're seeing, I suppose. But they have they have, CD Projekt Red has set themselves up now as this amazing publisher and developer. Um, mm-hmm. They they truly put their fans and the consumers first. They truly care about the projects they work on, um, and that tied in with their their you know GOG.com. They have become this uh, amazing force for good, in my opinion, in the industry, yes. and I absolutely adore them. And anything they put out, I will be excited to see what they do uh, and support because, yeah, there aren't many developers slash publishers out there like them, and uh, we could certainly do with more of them. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, they're, they're just good people. They are. They are. I, I would like to shake their hands. For what they do, they are very, very cool. Um, so yeah, let me, I'm just looking at the list now. Scalebound? You, you, you looking for a Scalebound, there, Richard? I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I'm a bit like meh on Scalebound, especially other turtles. So, uh, it's, push, it's pushing my fantasy star buttons. Adam oh, and I used to play fantasy yeah, star universe for a couple of years back, didn't we? We did. And, we did. Um, yeah, I used to love that. So Scalebound um, pushes all of those buttons for me, and I'm. Um, hoping to see something of substance. We saw a trailer last year that introduced some of the multiplayer stuff, and it did look a little bit like Fantasy Star. So, wait it's to see not, what it, happens. 
Fantasy Star's always been one of those things that I've looked at and gone, I bet I would like that, and then never played it. I've never played any Fantasy Star games, um, and I, I just think I missed out. It was a Dreamcast thing, yeah? Yes, originally it was Dreamcast, yeah. uh, the, the online game. Um, I, I, much to my shame, completely missed that console. I, it, I, came, it came to Xbox, yeah. the original Xbox. Um, I've played it for maybe <laughs> a month or two on that. But I properly got into Fantasy Star Universe, which wasn't well received actually. But I still no. managed to, to totally bomb it for like three years. <laughs> um, I'm reliably informed we liked the worst Fantasy Star by miles. <laughs> yeah, but I still thought it was great. So it's awesome. It, yeah, that's cool, man. Hey, sometimes think... if you're playing a game with a friend, yeah, it makes it so much better. Fantasy better. Star was interesting. It, it was the classic example of a game that I think we mostly enjoyed because it was something for our hands to do aimlessly while we chatted for hour upon hour you know like yes. it was it was about the social dynamic around it and just every saturday just sitting there for 10 hours just taking the piss out of each other while we yeah. slaughtered the same 20 enemies over and over and over again but it was fine for that like and it was you know it was fun yeah you didn't have to think and the, the only reference yeah. you'd make to the game is like every hour you'd say oh there's a rappy <laughs> yeah. on to talking about something else <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a good, good wallpaper kind of experience, but um, endless, endless fun on that. Yeah. So, so it's a scale bound with uh, modern um, development budgets, and you know, with uh, he's doing, he's platinum doing it, isn't it? So with their yes. history. Yeah, but you, you say that. But, yeah, but you say that, but I just play turtles, so I'm a little bit like. Yeah, but they, they do this thing, don't they? It's like Treasure, where they release Gunstar Heroes and then a McDonald's game five months later. <laughs> you got so to pay the bills. They, you got to pay the yeah, bills. they do things to pay the bills, but their own stuff is going to be awesome. It makes me think of directors like uh, Guillermo del Toro and stuff like that. You know, They'll do the, the crappy yeah. Hollywood shit just to make enough money to make their weird auteur shit, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, okay, all right, fair enough. They, I mean, they have made... I always think of Vanquish when I think Platinum. And, and that was a flipping awesome game on the 360. Um, yeah, fantastic game. Okay, let's get a little bit more out there. I don't know if you guys have got any more out there any ones, but I'm I think from Bethesda because they've got a conference and they don't have a huge amount of announced games. I think we're going to finally see Prey 2. And, I'm, <laughs> yeah. and I think that's coming back. It's a rumor that's been floating around for a while. It had that amazing trailer, didn't it? And that gameplay from like what three, four, maybe more years ago at E3. We're going back that, so far, going back so far. But I think this might be the time now that actually returns. Uh, and also, I think we might get a, a sequel to uh, Wolfenstein, the last Wolfenstein game, as well. Um, so, and that was a really good. That, that the the new generation Wolfenstein game was fantastic. So yeah, that's my prediction. I want I want Prey Two. Am I the only one excited about Prey Two? <laughs> I guess I am. I did play uh, the original. Well, I don't think that would help you, Adam, because Prey no, Two, exactly. from what it be, was becoming just before it got canned, it was completely a different game. It was about being a bounty hunter or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, Robber Fett, basically. Yeah, um, what they'd modelled seemed to work well from what I'd seen, and then it disappeared off the face of the earth for a couple of years before being officially canned. So, yeah, I don't think play, playing Prey 1 would give you any sort of indication as to, as no, to what to enough. expect, especially, especially with its storied history since in development. Um, don't know, who knows? With the way that that's <laughs> twisted and turned, the story around Prey 2, it might come back, but I can't really see the point in calling it Prey 2 if it does. Yeah, I mean, who's connected to that franchise now that cares 
that they, they want to keep that name alive, that brand, that IP. Seems a bit unnecessary, doesn't it? Yeah, a little a little bit of an odd one there. Um, do you think we're going to get then, Richard? Is this one of your wild predictions? We're going to get a uh, a Resident Evil, just a Resident Evil, right back to the beginning. What do you think? I think so. I mean, that that was when we filled in the document. I thought, well, what's my most hoped for? Um, title, a hopeful announcement that's possibly likely and it feels the right time and that's what I came up with and reading some of the um, rumours that are out there there's other commentators saying the same thing that now feels the right time for Resident Evil to come back, properly rebooted after they've they've done all the remasters Um, there's a launch window for all of them now going through um, 4, 5 and 6 so we're up to date with all of the remasters out there uh, what's next? There's got to be some sort of announcement for Resident Evil beyond rehashing what's already gone, because they've done them all now. What else have they got to do? Um, I want them to just reboot entirely, not like a remake, nothing like that. Just go back to what what was Resident Evil 1 about? It's just a scary mansion with monsters in it, and start from there and see what they can come up with. Start entirely from fresh, and hopefully that's what we'll see. I think it's a tricky, um, a tricky prospect because I think the original Resident Evil is so much about the way that game is designed, and it's a game design that doesn't work now if you're bringing out a AAA release, which is what they'd have to be. They're gonna have to be making a big release, putting a lot of money into it, banking on it, selling well, and you can't do, you know, fixed camera perspective tank controls. You can't do that now, and so much of the fear and the oppressive nature of Resident Evil comes from those restrictions that were part of that game development. That I think they'd have a real it's going to be a tricky puzzle for them to solve. I, I like you. I hope they give it a shot. Yeah, I do hope they try and do something. But I mean, yeah. Well, there's anyway. a space right now. I mean, Silent Hills isn't coming anymore. Who's doing that sort of game? There's definitely a place for it to appear. And what did um, we just we... find out today? Got cancelled. What was that? Yeah. So say we were talking before about um, Alison Road, the um, spiritual successor to PT. After that, got cancelled. Um, Alison Road has now been cancelled, which was a first-person horror game based in a, an English house. So how brilliant would that would that have been? But we're not seeing nearly as many games in that genre as we might, and Resident Evil should be leading the charge for their resurrection, I'd say. I think it's fair to say that these, this E3 is going to be full of VR. Uh, everywhere you look is going to be VR. I imagine we'll see more HoloLens if we don't get an Oculus form of announcement from Microsoft. Well, obviously, the, the PlayStation conference is all going to be about VR. I suspect at least half of the whole conference will be dedicated to that, as that's their hardware release this fall. Uh, so that's going to be massive. Um, I, I've, I've tried PlayStation VR. It was all right. It didn't blow me away. Like, some people get so excited about VR. But I, I bring this up mostly because Adam put, whereas Richard put, you <laughs> hardware is bullshit. Adam put, VR is bullshit. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, is so why is VR bullshit, Adam? <laughs> well, so, I mean, like, so you've used PlayStation VR. Have you had any experience of any of yours? No. And Richard, have you ever played with any VR? Like, uh, you know, yes, yes. No, remember back in, uh, like, the 90s, right, yes. those huge ones? That you have to stand in. Yeah. <laughs> That's the last. So you've not experienced any of the modern VR headsets? Oh, no, I did. I've got um, Virtual Boy as well. All right. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm going to go ahead and take those as no's. Um, so I've had a couple of experiences with VR, and it's, like, it's one of those things where I think journalists are going to talk very positively about it because on a show floor, it's a fantastic thing. You know, it's a mm. special one off. 
unique experience and it's very cool and modern VR headsets are very impressive, like they really work. Even Google Cardboard really works, like you really do get a sense that there's no latency, everything, you can, you are immersed, you are just seeing through the eyes of your character. The problem is I just can't imagine that catching on to a home market, you know? The idea that I get kind of uncomfortable if I'm just sitting playing a normal PC game and someone walks in the room behind me, but I'm at least in the situation where I know someone has walked in the room behind me. The idea of strapping something onto my head where I now can't hear or see what is happening in the room I am physically in, I just think that's a barrier that people are going to be very hesitant to cross, and none of the product that's out there right now offers the kind of sustained long-term gaming experience that you're going to want for that. A lot of it's brilliant five minutes. You know, There's a brilliant zombie thing doing the rounds on the Vive, I think it is. There's this fantastic contraption game on the Vive. There's lots of stuff that's really awesome for you know half an hour. But if you want to get into the gaming market, you need something someone wants to sit and play for six hours. And I just can't see VR ever delivering that. I, just, I, I certainly wouldn't, no matter how good that game was. The idea of just like cutting myself off to that degree for six hours just freaks me out. I, I can see where you're coming from. I think I do think the idea of room scale VR, the the idea you need to clear out a six foot by eight foot or whatever it is space in your house, is completely insane. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like that is like it was bad enough to get a space to play Wii. Imagine mm. trying to you know, and there's spaces like that you need to play room scale. Like it's a cool idea. It's an attraction. It's something I'd go somewhere to play on. You know, or pay by the hour or something like an arcade, but I can't see myself ever wanting that in my home. So the the, the PlayStation VR and the Oculus, of course, aren't. Oculus isn't doing it yet, though it will be. But PlayStation VR isn't doing it at all. At least they've not mentioned anything about that in the coming in the future or anything. But um, so when I had my hands on a PlayStation VR, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's it. Like I said, it like Adam said, it's cool and it and. It works, but uh, yeah, six hours, eight hours doing that, you know, like a hardcore gaming session, I don't see it. I just don't see it. It's just not, it's just not for me. But we're all old, so, you know, are we the right, or are we, I mean, the, we're the, well, the problem is, we're the ones with the money to buy it, and if it yeah. doesn't appeal to us as the early adopting hardcore older gamer, the ones with the money, the ones with the interest, then the kids that might be interested at 16, 18... They're not likely to be able to afford it, and I'd love to see them convince mummy and daddy to get them for that for Christmas. Because, you know, a games console is expensive enough, you know, or a, a new PC, add on another thousand pounds to get the VR, and you're like, what? We could afford that. Well, but also, I think you make a good point there about, like, one of the things that particularly young people are drawn to about video games, and I think video games in general have in their favour, is they're fantastic for multitasking. Like, most people I know, if they're playing a game, they're possibly also listening to a podcast. In some cases, like certainly for MMO players, they're watching a film on a second monitor or they're listening to the telly or they're chatting to friends. So VR makes such demands of, like, you can't multitask with it. You can't have a podcast playing while you're playing your VR experience. You can't just glance over at the television every now and again to keep an eye on the football or whatever it is you're doing. I, again, I think it's like it's a, it's a single-use kind of technology when technology at the moment seems to be all about multi-use and multi-function. Uh, I mean, bring on the day where I when I can slip on a pair of glasses and it's VR. I, I'm yeah. much more interested in the idea of augmented reality. The HoloLens, <laughs> for example, from Microsoft, I think is a far more exciting piece of technology than these big and you know enclosed VR headsets are. Um, I just think, yeah, like you, it's it's it almost feels like 
when the TV manufacturers latched onto 3D, and it's like, mm. they're telling you, this is the big thing. You want 3D. Everybody should have 3D. And it's like, oh, okay, cool, let's all get 3D. And they're like, uh, you know what? It's kind of shit. I'm kind of bored of it. It's not that necessary for a gaming experience. And I feel like VR, there are the really massive, the evangelical kind of preachers about it. And they are really you know, strongly trying to market to us that this is the future of gaming. And I just don't quite believe it yet. You know? Well, it's not a holodeck. It's, it's awesome. not a holodeck. It's not, it's not, though, Richard. It's not. It's unnecessary. Not. <laughs> what does it bring? Shadow of the Colossus. 3D was amazing. Yeah, but what does it bring to the experience? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't bring anything to it. It's just another way of looking at the same thing, which is what VR yeah. is. Literal depth, mate. That's what 3D is. Literal depth. Yeah. Like on your, read like it, on your 3D read test, you get I, I love that. It's best, the best reading. <laughs> of course, all anyway. we said, VR does have VR porn, and any new technology breaks in via porn. So oh, maybe God. let's not rule it out. I'm well, actually the 18-year-old enjoying that for the first time. Let me just say, well, let, me, <laughs> let me just say, uh, you know, I want to be the one doing the breaking in if I'm watching VR porn. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to bring it down a little bit, guys. Come on, we've got to earn that adult-only, you know, rating on iTunes. Right. We've got to earn it. Earn it. That adult-only rating gets you more listeners for sure. Oh, absolutely. Explicit tags is what it's all about, baby. <laughs> That's what it's all about. <laughs> so have you guys got anything else? I've, I've cherry-picked from your lists and stuff. Uh, anything else you wanted to bring up about E3 that you're either excited about, worried about? Um, yeah. I'm hoping Nintendo to NX. see you on, yeah. Nintendo talk NX. about Nintendo, yes. Go on, then. They've, well, they've said that they're only talking about Zelda, right? But uh, Zelda is coming to the Wii U and the NX. So, fingers crossed, they might still sneak some NX stuff in. Who knows? I don't know. But how can they not? It's supposed to be out after Christmas. When is their next opportunity to talk about it? TGS. Um, but it, what's that, September? Yeah, I, I think they're going to do it all at TGS, personally. I don't know. I don't know if that's enough time. What do you think? Mm. It makes sense to avoid putting your announcements up against everyone else's, I think. Like, it's probably sensible to bin off E3 for Nintendo and just try and seize the control of a smaller show later on in the year. If, if their insiders are telling them and their corporate spies are telling them Microsoft and Sony are going to announce new hardware, then back the fuck off. Leave it for TGS. I think that makes, yeah. that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I can understand them not wanting to be buried in the delusion of information during E3, but a week after, two weeks after, somewhere within the window where they've got enough breathing room, I think they've got to say something. They can't just leave it that long when consumers will be making decisions about what to buy for Christmas. And they will have missed the boat. If they wait till that close to Christmas and people have already decided, right, I'm going to get the new PS4, the new Xbox One, and they're just picking up the scraps of whoever's able to buy another one in March, I think they need to be getting that message out early um, and saying, well, this is why you need to hold off and wait till March before making a console decision. I think, I, I mean, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? I think Nintendo, um, better than maybe the other two, have realised that the great fallacy of E3, that it's pointless in this day and age for the most part, that you don't need this central show 
uh, in Las Vegas or uh, sorry LA sorry not Las Vegas where everybody goes to announce things you know that that was needed back when the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is now where live streams can't work as well as they do now where Twitch and YouTube weren't a thing but now where you can make an announcement and make a big impact any time in the calendar year at all it, it does seem so unnecessary for everybody to rush to E3 to do it and I think Nintendo with their Treehouse streams really really gets that they don't need to announce at E3, they can have an impact, like you said, two weeks later, three weeks later, four weeks later, whenever they fucking want, and and you know they can claim that news cycle for an entire week. So, also, and this might be a controversial statement, but I very much get the feeling now that Nintendo are kind of operating in slightly different waters to the other big publishers and and hardware manufacturers. They're sort of a. I'm trying not to use any judgmental words because I'm not a huge Nintendo fan. But they're really in their own little kind of area, I think, a lot of the time. Like, Nintendo fans are going to Nintendo fan, and I'm not sure you need to be selling your Nintendo products to, like, Xbox kids who are just waiting for the new Call of Duty. Yeah, they might be in that area, but I don't think they want to be. I don't think it's what they're after. I mean, they've started making moves into mobile now. Um, You know, say what you like about the success of that, but they are giving that a go. Yeah. And just just the, the business model of their last few consoles, it certainly hasn't worked for the Wii U, but the Wii did tap into a wider demographic than just Nintendo fans. To the extent that Nintendo fans felt betrayed by it, they didn't like it. <laughs> so, you know, I think that if they could be mass market, they would want to be. It's just whether they can strike the right balance and get the right timing for it. The Wii U definitely wasn't the right product to do that. Um, yeah. We've seen what the... What the uh, what the surprise element of the NX is. We, will sh- we shall wait and see indeed. I'd be cool, man. I'd love to see them do something E3 just because it would be such a surprise after them saying we weren't doing anything. That'd be, that's why E3 is exciting. We don't know. So this has been a bunch of us speculating, and it's a, it's, it's a crazy one. It's a really interesting one, and I will be tweeting about them all live because I'm an insane person. Adam, before I wrap this up, was there anything else you would like to bring up? Uh, I just want to say, really quickly, uh, probably we're going to see some more footage of Cuphead at uh, E3, and I will see footage of that game infinitely. That is the prettiest video game ever made, and I am astonished every time I see it. There you go. Wild prediction. Cuphead related, because there's normally one, or something like this happens, they come out on stage, and Phil Spencer says, Cuphead, out now. That would be astonishing. That would be quite cool. Because that's it's pretty much ready. Uh, I played it like last year at EGX, and it felt pretty much finished then. Um, so I, I think that game is... They're just waiting for a slot. And they, you know you want an impact that's going to get people on your consoles at E3, yeah. you know, there and then for your players. Cuphead could I be agree. it. That or Below. I think Below could be another good shot as well for that one, because that one's been uh, touted for years and years and years as well. And I imagine Sony will do something similar as well with the, on their PlayStation. But I'm not so up on what their digital exclusives are that are coming up, so I'm not sure what that would be. But there's usually something. There's usually something, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, you know, the announcement of backwards compatibility last year was a huge announcement for Xbox. Yeah, that, so, was, good. Uh, that was a good coup. Yeah, that was pretty good. And then they had stuff ready there and then for that as well, didn't they? That was up straight away. So um, I, I think, yeah, something like that can happen. So I think it's been 90 minutes of us talking bollocks. So I think we should wrap this one up and say we will reconvene in two weeks' time to to do the post-mortem of E3. Um, so I would like to thank our guest Adam Breeden oh, coming to much. coming to us. I think sat where sat somewhere in the middle of the M1 uh, today. Because <laughs> uh, damn, you've got some loud traffic going on there. Really? Oh, sorry. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> you can't hear it. <laughs> no, man, these headphones are great. 
Yeah, but it's going through your mic, bro. It's crazy. Like, I, so I apologize to the listeners for Adam on the M1. Uh, <laughs> and Richard, thank you as always for coming along. Maybe Adam, if we try and get you back next week, I might try and get a, a fourth on as well, so we can do right. a big E3 post E3 discussion. That'd be cool. If you're available, that would be I'm awesome. Available. Uh, and uh, I've been your host. Our Twitters are I'm at DIYE. Richard, you are Colonel Red. Colonel Reds. And Adam is uh, Adam Breeding Dev. Adam Breeding Dev, Dev of the Amazing Networm. It's on his T-shirt. Go to Steam and buy it. £1.50 for a copy now. Like, I have to steal, man. I still can't finish it, mate. That final level. (laughs) Bastard. (laughs) And uh, please head over to, if you're seeing this on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, please head over to um, bxbgames.co.uk, the full website for all the awesome stuff, and there will be, yeah, follow on Twitter because there's going to be a lot of E3 stuff coming up in the next week. Trust me. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I, I honestly, when I'm tweeting at three a.m., right? You know, I'm, my my opiniony bits are gonna get more and more wild. I might just start screaming, just recording sound bites, <laughs> like just screaming, like live reactions. Hey, I could come on and do this live while I was doing it and just bore everybody to tears. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? Um, I like the video <laughs> logs from Event Horizon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Uh, it's exciting. It's like I always say, it's, it's the gamers' Christmas is E3. Um, so there's there's always a lot of crazy shit. So stay locked to BXB Games. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye.